Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Stan, one of the elders here, and it's my pleasure to read to you our text. And again, this week, as we did last week, we're going to be teaching from the NASB. We, we think, for some reason, the, uh, the, the text that we normally look at is the ESV. It's a very good translation, don't get us wrong, but for some reason, we think, for some reason, that this one's better. It's, it just, I, think we, I think we get better words here. There's more depth here that is allowed from the NASB. So we're going to be reading from that. So if you have that on your phone rather than in your printed Bible, feel free to pull that out. But you're welcome to follow along in the version that you have. I'm sure it will be pretty close. I'm going to start in verse 2 of chapter 2. And how far are we going, Bradley? End of the chapter. That's good. That's the end of this page. You planned that well. All right. Chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man, so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, for how long? And makes himself rich with loans. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them, because you have not looted many nations, because you have looted many nations. All the remainder of the peoples will loot you, because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. Woe to him who gets evil gain from his house, to put his nest on high to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you who make your neighbor drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, 
and the devastation of its beast by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. What profit is the idol when its, make, when its maker has carved it or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork and he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! To a mute stone, Arise! And that is your teacher? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. We had a great week last week, did we not? Fellowshipping together, songs. Uh, it's great to be back uh, to our normal schedule, and we're glad that you're with us. If you're new, my name's Bradley, and we're honored to have you with us today at Rest Church. Um, if you're new, uh, here at Rest Church, we typically study straight through books of the Bible, and a few weeks ago, we began a study through this short little book tucked away in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. It's about a prophet who... Um, he, he ministers in what is known as the southern kingdom of Israel. The, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two kingdoms at this point in history. And this is the southern kingdom of Judah. And Habakkuk has a problem. Habakkuk looks at his world, his, his life there in Judah. He looks at what's going on around him and he feels like everything is wrong and God's not doing anything right about it. Anybody ever felt that way? You look at your life, you look at the society around you, you look at the culture you live in, you look at what's going on around the world, and it feels like things are just out of order, things are in chaos, like if there is a God and if he is all-powerful, if he is all-knowing, he is either silent or powerless. He's either passive or he doesn't care. And we, we might be afraid, especially if you're a church person, you might be afraid to admit that you have felt that way. But sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we struggle to reconcile the God we know with what we see, what we feel, and what we experience. That's exactly where Habakkuk is. There's a moral, spiritual, and societal decline in Judah. And on top of that, Habakkuk sees a military threat coming from these people known as the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. They're like a, I describe them as a tsunami. A tsunami, sometimes you can see it coming from a long way off. And that's what Habakkuk sees with these people called the Chaldeans. They were the world power of the day. And they were sweeping through nation after nation, kingdom after kingdom, decimating cities and taking people captive. And they're coming for Judah. And Habakkuk prays. Really, his prayer could be characterized as a complaint. God, where are you? How long must I cry out to you? And you don't do anything about the mess in Judah or the Babylonians that are coming. In fact, God answers Habakkuk, and here's what God says. And this is, it's a hard pill to swallow. God says to Habakkuk in chapter 1, we looked at this, Habakkuk, I'm not silent, I'm not passive, and I'm not powerless. I'm actually doing something in your days that if I told you, you wouldn't believe it. And sure enough, 
Habakkuk can't get his head around it because here's what God says. Those Chaldeans that are coming, those Babylonians, those wicked people that are coming, they are coming for Judah, and I'm raising them up. I'm raising up those wicked people to judge my people for their wickedness. And Habakkuk's mind is literally blown. So much so that in his second prayer to God, he voices what feels like a paradox to him. Let's look at it again. Chapter 1, verse 13. A paradox that Habakkuk feels. Here's what he says. He says, God, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. That's who he knows God to be. But look at the next statement. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? In other words, God, I know that your eyes are too pure that you cannot look on wickedness with favor, but why are you doing that? It seems like, God, you're acting out of character. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Here's another way to put that. Why are you using wicked people to judge people who are less wicked? That's Habakkuk. He's struggling with God's justice. He knows God is sovereign. He knows God is righteous and holy, but he simply cannot comprehend how it is that God's plans are playing out this way. But Stan alluded to this, and this is what we saw last time. In all of Habakkuk's complaining and all of his voicing of frustration to God, he still maintains a posture of worship. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 1 again. Pay attention to the words. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart and I will keep watch to see what God will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Everybody say reproved. That word just simply means rebuked or corrected. In other words, Habakkuk says this to God. God, I cannot reconcile who I know you to be with what I see you're doing but here's what I know. I'm the problem, not you. There are times, Christians, where we come to a place where we have to realize though we struggle to comprehend the plan, the problem is not with the planner. The problem's with us. Because God, as, we, as Stan just read, he's in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk knows that he's the problem, not God. I ran across a sermon from John Piper earlier this week, and he was referencing a New York Times article about the Webb Telescope. You might have heard about this. The Webb Telescope was launched about two years ago, and it's currently about a million miles away from Earth. A million miles away from Earth. And in the grand scheme of the universe, that's about the distance from here to Simpsonville. A million miles away from the earth and is completing a two-decade-long orbit around the sun. And it's sending back some amazing images. And here is the image that was talked about in this article. Can everybody see that? What do you see in the middle? Here's what's interesting about that question mark. That question mark is actually a pair of dust clouds that are in the process of forming two stars. 
It's amazing. The article was written by this guy named Dennis Overby. He's a scientist or an astronomer of some sort. And here were his concluding remarks in the article. And I want you to listen to these remarks, and I want you to look at that question mark. He says, once the web has completed its rounds of investigations two decades from now, we might know a bit more about how this bowl of stars works, but we still won't know why we're here. The question mark, our profound cosmic ignorance, is one of the great gifts of science. What? The gift of science is just discovering how ignorant we are? You know, Piper went on to say in this sermon, he said, that's not a gift, that's a curse. And it's a curse that millions live under. And the more science discovers, the more prominent or the more vivid or the more visible that curse becomes because the more we discover about the universe, the smaller we feel. And, the, and, and, and recognizing that and feeling ever so small and not knowing why you're here, that's a curse. That's not a gift. Now, I'm pro-science. I'm pro-science. And I think it's amazing when scientists keep discovering how much we don't know. I read an article recently that said that this, I think it was either this telescope or the Hubble had discovered that the universe, it's, you, know, you know the universe is still expanding. And it's actually, its expansion is speeding up. That's what they discovered. And scientists are dumbfounded by this because if it all started with the Big Bang, guess what? It should be slowing down. But the glory of the Lord is going to fill the universe and the glory of God does not diminish, it's ever-expanding. So Christians, when science discovers just how much we don't know, we should rejoice. You know why? Because we worship the God who holds all of that in the palm of his hand. We know why we exist. Because the Bible's told us. You know it. We exist to know, to enjoy, and reflect the glory of God. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why we were created. Glorifying God will always be through faith. Faith does not always include total comprehension of what God is doing. And we best get our heads around that. Faith does not always include total comprehension of what God is doing. But glorifying God, the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God. We trust the creator of the universe. And we reflect his glory, and that's why we're here. But at times, we're going to struggle to comprehend exactly what this God is doing. And that's exactly where Habakkuk is. And so as God, as Habakkuk has complained to God, and then God has responded and said, I am doing something that you wouldn't believe if I told you. Habakkuk, or God now responds to Habakkuk's second complaint as Habakkuk says, God, you seem to be acting out of character. 
Here's God's response. Verse 2 of chapter 2. Let's read the first part. The Lord answered me. And Habakkuk says, I'm expecting to be corrected, so here comes God's response. The Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastens toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries or waits or it's slow, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. What's the vision? It's the first question we got to ask. Well, I think that's a layered question. So the answer is layered, but in the immediate, the vision is this. The Chaldeans are coming, and I'm raising them up, Habakkuk. They're going to judge my people, and I'm going to turn around and judge them for their wickedness. That's the vision. Write it down, Habakkuk, and don't write it on parchment. Write it on tablets. You know the adage, something's written in stone. That's what this is. Write it down on tablets so that the runner, who's that? That's the herald. That's the guy that's in charge of running all over the city and making the vision known, making the word known. And it's almost a ridiculous picture because can you imagine this runner, somebody about the size of Thomas, carrying two stone tablets under each arm and trying to run around town and tell everybody, here's what God says. But write it down on tablets because... It's going to happen, Habakkuk. It's going to happen. They're coming, and they're going to decimate the city, and they're going to destroy the temple, and they're going to take my people captive for 70 years. It's going to happen. It's going to happen at the exact right time, and nothing's going to stop it because I've determined it. You know what I see God giving Habakkuk? He's giving Habakkuk an answer, but not an explanation. This is what I'm doing. And I told you that if I, if I explained it all to you, you wouldn't believe it. Why? Because, folks, and this is something I said two weeks ago, and, and it sounds a little funny at first, but it's really true. God's doing calculus, and we're still working on two plus two. We gaze into the cosmos, and what do we see? A big question mark. And God hasn't explained everything to us, but he has given us the answer. I will accomplish my purpose. It's going to happen, and it's going to happen at the appointed time. Folks, we are not simply on a need-to-know basis with God. We are on a capacity-to-know basis with God. We simply don't have the capacity to understand all of his ways. You remember the book of Revelation? It's at the end of your Bible. John the Revelator, he saw seven trumpets, seven bowls, and seven thunders. Now, you may not know what all that means, but, and I'm not going to explain it all this morning. But just consider this. When he saw the seven trumpets or heard them and he saw the seven bowls, he took out his pen and he wrote down what he saw. And we've got that content in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 10... He sees or hears or both seven thunders, and guess what he does? He pulls out his pen and he starts to write. And then he says this, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, don't write it down. Seal it up, don't write it down. We don't know what he saw. 
We don't know what he heard, which says what? Minimally, God hasn't explained everything to us. We have a God who gives us the answer, but he doesn't necessarily give us the explanation because we have a capacity problem. We are finite human beings, folks. You know this. I don't have to convince you of that. Like, you're going to leave here today, and you can turn on your TV, you can pick up a lot of books, you can listen to podcasts, you can watch a bunch of stuff on YouTube that's going to tell you how awesome you are, how smart you are, how capable you are. And yes, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that, right? We were woven together. We've got little Jameson, right? I almost forgot his name. Little Jameson was just born this past week or so. Woven together in his mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. There is something amazing about our design that reflects his glory, but we are so finite. We struggle to see the forest for the trees. Just a little parenthesis. When you see, when you hear people who are wrongly leveraging biblical prophecy to try to give you an explanation of what's going on, particularly with Israel and Hamas right now. This is not new. It's been happening for a long, long time. When you see and hear that stuff, turn it off. Turn it off. It's not to say that we shouldn't pay attention. It's not to say that there might not be some things to be mindful of. But when somebody tries to convince you that they understand everything that's going on and what God is doing, chances are they're trying to sell you something. A book, a video, a subscription. Chances are that's the case, but here's what I can guarantee you. They don't know what they think they know. Because our God has not explained everything to us. But he has given us the answer. You ready for the answer? Verse 4. Behold, as, the proud, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his, say it, faith. He will live by his faith. There's only two options, folks. Can I have that image again, Peyton? There's only two options. You got questions? I got questions. All God's children got questions. Every human being on this planet's got questions. Whether they believe or not, everybody's got questions. And here are the only two options in the questions. Live by faith or die by pride. It's, it, that's it. And believe me, I'm one of those that I try to avoid the fallacy of the false dilemma the false dichotomy, right? We tend to jump to those conclusions too quickly, but here's what I can guarantee you from God's word, not just Bradley's opinion. There's only two options in all the questions. Live by faith or die by pride. It's the crossroads of humanity. And verse five underscores that. Look at verse five. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man 
so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. He is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations, collects to himself all peoples. That word wine could also be translated wealth. Either way, either way, wealth or wine, specifically drunkenness, reveals that the proud one is not right within his soul. His appetites are never satisfied no matter how much he accumulates or no matter how much he drinks. Never satisfied. It should remind us of the words of Jesus. What does it profit a man that he gained the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? It tells us something about ourselves too, doesn't it? Folks, we are going to depend on something. We're going to depend on something. Because we're finite and we know it. We know it. And no matter how, how much we try to mask it, we know we're finite. And so we're going to depend on something. What's it going to be? That's the question. Wealth or God? Wine or God? You know, the Webb telescope cost over $2 billion to make and undoubtedly includes some of the most sophisticated technology ever invented. It might go down as one of the greatest human achievements in history. And what did all of that achievement and investment and technology gain us? The image one more time, Peyton. Question mark. The endless pursuit of humanity to find answers only leads to more questions. So what are we going to do? We've got two options. Live by faith or die by pride. Because folks, there are aspects of the plan. This is all planned. I, I don't know how... I don't want to get on a rabbit trail here, but I don't know how people could can conclude, smart people, so smart, so much smarter than me, can conclude that this is all by accident. I cannot fathom that. There's a plan. It's all planned. And we're not always going to comprehend the plan. So the question is, on what or whom are you going to depend Wealth and wine or on the planner? That's the question. The righteous will live by faith. And I think in order to make that statement, that timeless statement, which is quoted three times in the New Testament, to make it vivid, to put the spotlight on it, the righteous will live by faith. God, through the prophet, pronounces five woes. That's the rest of the chapter. Five woes, and I think, the more I've looked at this, that these woes are progressive in nature. And you're going to see the progression. But this is God saying to his creation, trust me or woe. Let's look at them. Verse 6. 
Woe number one. Will not all these take up a taunt song against him? Talking about the pride one, the proud one. Even mockery insinuations against him say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. For how long makes himself rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly, those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them. Because you have looted many nations, all the remainder of the peoples will loot you. Because of human bloodshed, violence done to the land, the town, and all its inhabitants. Here's woe number one in my own words. Woe to the proud who seek to enrich themselves. If you're not going to trust God, what are you left with? except to attempt to accumulate as much as possible. If you're not going to trust God, what are you left with except to try and accumulate as much as possible? And the warning is, at some point, the greedy will be plundered and looted by someone or something. I've officiated a wedding a couple of weekends ago in Florida. And it's a a wedding for a young man that grew up in this church that now lives in Florida. And he married a sweet young gal uh, who has a lovely family. Um, And I met her family for the first time. And her father is probably the wealthiest man I've ever met personally. I've, I've been around wealth, but not like this. He... He bought his house from the lead singer of ACDC. If you don't know who that is, that's probably one of the most famous rock bands of all time. The house across the street was for sale for $34 million. He has a 42-foot yacht that'll go 100 miles an hour. I, I was just, it, he owns an island in upstate New York. Not a home on an island, the island. And he was such a great guy. I, I sat on his back porch, which really, it, I, you can't even call it a back porch. It was like a back paradise kind of thing. I, I've just, I, I was texting Mary pictures and like, you cannot believe this. I am so out of my element here. But I sat on his back porch and he was very candid and he told me about his success in business. And I asked him a lot of questions and he would just kept talking. And I was absolutely intrigued. I asked him what his secret was. What is your skill? How have you done this? Like what, what led to all this? I just, I want to know. And he was very candid and very humble. And I was kind of struck by the humility, to be honest with you. Because when somebody's that wealthy, a lot of times the humility doesn't remain, does it? But then he told me the story. Several years ago, his wife suddenly went into liver failure. Out of the blue. And she almost died. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, it was in that moment I realized none of this matters without her. All of it was relativized when his wife almost died. Now she survived, thank God. We had a beautiful wedding. It may not be a foreign enemy that plunders the riches that the greedy try to accumulate. It might be sickness. The point is, The false security of wealth at some point will make itself known. The proud reject living by faith 
and first try to accumulate all that they can. And wealth is relative, right? It may not be that kind of wealth. It could be any level of wealth, but just to try to accumulate as much stuff because I'm trying to figure out why I'm here. But at some point, that false security of wealth makes itself known. And what are you left with? That leads us to woe number two, verse nine. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples. So you're sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall. The rafter will answer it from the framework. Here's woe number two in my own words. Woe to the proud who seek to protect themselves. When the false security of wealth is revealed, when the proud seek to satisfy themselves at the expense of faith in wealth or wine, what are they left with except to try to do whatever they can to try to protect themselves from calamity? Because here's what we know. All humanity knows this. The calamity's coming. It might be the Great Recession of 08. It might be a pandemic of 2020. It might be the Great Depression. It might be another world war. The calamity's coming. So what are you going to do when you realize all this stuff can't protect me? You're going to do whatever you can to build for yourself a wall of protection. And here's what happens. Twice in the New Testament, this statement is made. Once in 1 Peter, once in James. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When the proud seek to protect themselves, they not only stand in opposition to God, But more often than not, they cut themselves off from the people that love and care for them the most. Self-protection will always lead to isolation. You'll cut yourself off from people. You'll sin against yourself trying to protect yourself. That's the woe God's offering here. The stone walls will eventually cry out against you. And some of you have experienced this. You've seen it with your children. You've seen it with your spouse. You've seen it with your parents. You've seen it with a close friend. When their their houses built on sand start to crumble, what do they do? They try to protect themselves, and many times at the expense of you. Maybe some of you have done that. Everything that you banked on crumbled. And so in an effort to protect yourself, you walled yourself off from people that love you and want to care for you. This is the woe to the proud who seek to protect themselves. When wealth or wine fails us, when our efforts at self-protection fail us, what are we left with? Woe number three, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire, nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe number three in my own words. Woe to the proud who seek to build a sanctuary who seek to build a sanctuary. 
when the false security of wealth or wine is exposed, when efforts at self-protection fail and isolate us, the proud are left to build a sanctuary for themselves through violence. And if you don't believe that, just go watch a few episodes of Dateline or 2020. If you're not familiar with that show, it's investigative reporting that almost every episode is somebody who's built their structures, accumulated their wealth, built their life, and the story goes the same almost every time. On social media and on the surface, it looks all good and nice and the, the, the ideal American family. And then suddenly the wealth runs out or the wine fails and the efforts at self-protection fail. And suddenly a spouse has killed their whole family or a business partner has murdered the other over and over and over and over again. You can watch these episodes play out how the proud seek to build their sanctuary through violence. The reason we exist is to reflect and enjoy and know the glory of God. The righteous will live by faith. And when we who live by faith, when the glory of God is revealed in its fullness, we, who, we will truly live on that day. You know why? Because on that day, we will have the full capacity to know and enjoy and reflect the glory of God. When the glory of the Lord fills the earth as the waters cover the sea, the righteous who live by faith will experience everlasting joy. That would be a great place to shout hallelujah. If you're in faith, if you live by faith, when the glory of the Lord, it will happen. Write it on tablets. Mark it down at the appointed time. Though it tarries, don't doubt it, because it's going to happen. The glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. And for the righteous who live by faith, it will be everlasting joy for us. But for those, for the proud ones, what's that experience going to be like when it happens? Revelation chapter 6, look at this on the screen. Verse 15 to 17. When the, when the glory of the Lord fills the earth, then the kings of the earth, the great men, the commanders, the rich, the strong, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in caves among the rocks and of the mountains. They said to the mountains, to the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb. The great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to stand? The glory of the Lord is our joy. Why? Because by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we have been saved from his wrath. If you want to know what salvation is, people, people have all kinds of wrong notions about it. The Christian gospel, salvation, is not being saved from a purposeless life only. It's not even really in, 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 in its essence being saved from judgment and, and hell. The Christian gospel is salvation 
from God. We are saved by God, from God. Because God is righteous, he is holy, he is in his holy temple. And the the earth will be filled with his glory. And for the proud ones, that's a day when they're going to cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. That would be better than his wrath. But for the righteous who live by faith, it will be our joy. So when wealth and wine fails, when efforts at self-protection fail, when building a sanctuary through violence fails, where are the proud to go from there? Here's woe number four. Habakkuk 2 verse 15. Woe to to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom, even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. Utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overthrow you. The devastation of its beast by which you terrified them. Because of human bloodshed, violence done to the land to the town and all its inhabitants. Here's woe number four, in my own words. Woe to the proud who seek to cover their shame. The picture is getting more and more dark. The proud who have failed at satisfying their appetites through wine or wealth, failed at protecting themselves from calamity, failed at building a sanctuary for themselves through violence, are now trying to cover their shame by shaming others, by taking advantage of other people in order to expose their nakedness, all in an effort to mask, to hide, and to cover their own shame. And here's where that leads. Here's what God says. They will be overwhelmed, covered by the very shame they're trying to hide. You know this. This kind of stuff plays out all the way back to elementary and middle school playgrounds. You shame someone else in order to cover your own. And it keeps playing out all the way up into the highest positions of power in our society. People try to shame others, all in an effort to try to hide their own disgrace. And God says, that's not going to work. Again, I've said this before. Understand God's posture, people. His attitude. His attitude is not, you tiny, puny, stupid humans. How dare you question me? This is a loving, gracious, heavenly father who's saying, listen, you don't have the capacity yet to understand all that I'm doing. You're not only on a need-to-know basis, you're on a capacity-to-know basis. And here's what you can know, and here's what you must know. The righteous will live by faith. Everybody else will die by pride. And at some point, you might try wealth, you might try wine, you might try protecting yourself, you might try building a sanctuary, but at the end of the day, when all those things fail, you're going to try to hide your own shame by shaming others. And it's going to backfire because your shame will be exposed. 
And when that happens, really, all our efforts to be self-sufficient, and, and again, this, this seems to be so clear to me, so vivid to me, that I want to plead with anybody into the sound of my voice who might be among the proud ones. When you, when you try everything else, when you try to be self-sufficient, here's where it's going to end, and you know this. I don't have to convince you. You'll end up at the end of yourself. You'll end up at the end of yourself. When the very shame you've tried to hide overwhelms you, and then what are you left with? Woe number five. Verse 18. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! To a mute stone, Arise! That is your teacher? Behold, it's overlaid with gold, silver. There's no breath inside it at all. Here's where the proud end up. Woe to the proud who build their own gods. Folks, not only will we depend on something, but men will worship. Men will worship. Because it's what we were made to do. And woe to the one who takes a piece of wood. It's heartbreaking. A piece of wood and tries to dress it up like a little child. Tries to dress it up with gold and silver to make it look fancy and impressive. And what a tragic end for the proud. To look at that piece of wood and say, awake, be my teacher. Give me the image one more time, Peyton. Answer my questions. Only to find that it's silent. Why? Because there's no breath in it at all. Men will worship because that's what we were made to do. And what's sad is that our fundamental purpose gets perverted. And any time the purpose for which a thing was made gets perverted, the end is always ruin and destruction. If I try to hammer a nail with this laptop, what's going to happen? It's not going to survive because it wasn't made to do that. You weren't made to worship an idol. I wasn't made to worship an idol. But that's where we end up when wealth fails, when all efforts at self-protection fail and isolate us, when creating our own sanctuaries through violence, fail, and then when we try to hide our own shame by shaming others and taking advantage of others, what are we left with but to try to build our own God, to try and answer our questions? A God of our own invention. It doesn't work. Because God's not a God of our invention. He is creator we are creation. And here's what the creator has said to us. 
Do you want to live? There's only one way. Live by faith. And the five woes, because for probably most of everybody in this room, by grace, I'm going to say it again, by grace, you are living by faith. And you know, that's such good news. Because, verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth, let all those false idols be silent before him. We're living by faith. Not in our ability to comprehend the plan, but independence and worship of the planner, even when we don't understand his ways. And these five woes, for the righteous who live by faith, they shine the most brilliant spotlight on three statements in this chapter that I think reverberate through the universe with glorious, weighty thunder. And they are our hope, our joy, and our confidence. Here are the statements. The righteous will live by faith. That's our hope. We don't live by sight. We don't live by comprehension of the plan all the time. We live by confidence, by trust in the planner. That's our hope. We live by faith because faith pleases God. And there's only one way to live by faith, folks, and it's by grace and grace alone. That's our hope. Here's our joy. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I can't wait because that which we've known, enjoyed, and reflected in part, one day we'll do that to its fullness because he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body and we'll have the capacity to behold his glory. He won't, we won't be like Moses. Moses said, God, let me see your face. He said, nope, you couldn't, you won't survive it. I'll let you see my back. And they had to cover his face when he came down the mountain. Can you imagine having the capacity to fully behold the glory of God? Righteous folks living by faith, that's our joy and that's the trajectory we're on. And then number three, this is our confidence. Our hope, our joy, and our confidence. The Lord is in his holy temple. In other words, he's God alone. There is no other God. There is no one besides him. He's holy. He's entirely set apart. He is what nothing else is. By grace, we know him. We know him. We don't understand everything he's doing. Right? I don't understand everything that's going on in my life, much less around the world. I don't understand how it all fits. 
But maybe I'm not supposed to right now. Maybe I'm not supposed to. Maybe in all the questions, I hear my father saying, trust me. Trust me. You'll live by faith. My glory will fill the earth. That's been the plan from the get-go. And I'm in my temple. Trust me. Live by faith. Don't die by pride. So Christians, be encouraged. Be, be emboldened, be strengthened by the fact that by his grace, you're not living among the proud ones who are trying to build their own towers and accumulate stuff and protect themselves, who are wasting their lives and wasting their efforts and ultimately trying to build their own gods because they were made to worship, but they're perverting the very reason for their existence. That's not who you are. By grace, you've been made to worship the one true God. And you'll live by faith. We see him, we know him, and we worship him, even though we don't always understand his ways. We trust him. And here, folks, this is pointing us to next week. By his grace, we trust him, even when we're waiting for the calamity that he's bringing. That's where Habakkuk is now. The Chaldeans are coming. And now he trusts while he waits for God to do what he said he will do. There's only one way to live. And that's by faith. Here's last thing I'm going to say. If you aren't living by faith, the simple gospel plea is this. Repent. And repent doesn't mean I'm sorry. It can include sorrow, but repent means change your thinking. Turn around and go the opposite way. Quit heading down the path of being destroyed by your own pride and efforts at self-sufficiency. Bow your knee to the God of heaven and earth, even if you still have questions. Say, God, even if this is where you are, folks, I think this is a great starting point. I have no other choice but to trust you. That's a great starting point. You won't stay there. At some point, you will relish. You will be with overflowing gladness say, I have questions, but I trust you. Trust him. There's no other way to live. Let's pray. Oh God, I feel so inadequate. I feel so inadequate. Inadequate to talk about you. Inadequate to proclaim the truth. Inadequate to even utter these words. These are... These are words that are weighty because they're yours. 
and I can speak them, but in and of myself, I have no power to make them or force them to land on human hearts and on my own heart the way they're supposed to. My urgent plea this morning is that we would cease to pursue peace and joy through trying to understand the plan in our own strength. But instead, we would embrace dependence on the planner. We will live by faith. We will live by faith. Your glory will fill the earth. You are in your holy temple. All other arguments, all other ideas, all other answers, whether they be science or religious or human philosophy, let all other voices be silent right now. To the one who sits in here this morning and says, I want to trust God, but Bradley, you don't know what's happened in my life. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know the wrong that's been done to me. You don't know the hurt that I've had to endure. You don't know how people have let me down. And I get it. I get it because there are times when we cannot reconcile who we know you to be with what we see, feel, and experience. But I pray, Holy Spirit, you would arrest those hearts to realize that the answers we seek may not be, may not be something we're going to find in this life. But what we need to know, what we have the capacity to know, is that there's only one way to live, and that's by faith. And I pray you would make yourself known to all of us in fresh new ways, and particularly to those who maybe are not living by faith in this moment. Do the work that you can do, you alone, by grace, by your grace. And we thank you for this. Thank you for Habakkuk. Thank you for what you spoke to him. We love you, and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z-Faith.com, where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.